Our guest speaker today is Wayne Francis. Wayne Francis is somebody that I've heard a lot about over the last number of years, and I've heard that he is a, just an incredibly dynamic preacher, a very effective pastor, and uh, just a really wonderful human being. Uh, Wayne and I have uh, spent time together over this past month getting to know each other better, and I find all of the things that I've been told to be absolutely true. You're going to love listening to Pastor Wayne Francis speak today. He's the lead pastor of the Life Church New York based in Westchester County, and um, he uh, and his wife planted this church, started this church about a decade ago, and they've had tremendous success in Westchester County, and um, I'm glad that I'm able to introduce him to you. He's been married to his wife, Claudine, for 20 years. They have two beautiful teenage daughters. We're looking forward to hosting Wayne and his family in our home later today uh, for an outdoor get-together with their family, but I'm glad that you're going to get to experience him now in this online service. I hope that you will enjoy, I'm sure you will, Wayne Francis. What's up, everybody? I am so honored to be joining you in this format. Looking forward to meeting you in person, but a big shout out to you and your entire church. First, I want to say thank you to Pastor Terry Smith. What a tremendous pastor you have that's shepherding your church along with his wife, Sharon. I haven't gotten to meet you yet, but I did hang out with Pastor Terry recently in New York City. We had a great dinner, and I've heard so much about the great work your church is doing in New Jersey, and I can tell you that he is a great Gracious man, very generous. I am so looking forward to our relationship growing over the next couple of years. It's so cool to have another partner in the Northeast doing great work in ministering, and it is such an honor to be with you, the Life Christian Church, and I can't wait to be with you guys in person quite soon. And I'm looking forward to hanging out again with you, Pastor Terry. Thank you for your generosity and allowing me to speak to your church in this format. Now, guys, 2020 has been some kind of year, hasn't it? I mean, from the beginning of the year with the loss of Kobe Bryant and then the pandemic of COVID-19 and then all of the racial struggles that we're seeing till recently, Chadwick Boseman passing away. There's so many things this year that just feel off. I think many of us are ready to get into 2021. And here we are still dealing with all of the tension around our culture that we don't quite have answers for. Well, I love during these times of tension to go into the Bible and find ways to be inspired by the way ancient Jewish people overcame their struggles, or maybe even some of the New Testament leaders in the outgrowth of that first century church, how they dealt with challenges that are quite similar to what we're immersed in. And there came a time in the history of the Jewish people that they experienced a bit of what we're going through collectively. It was a pandemic of sorts. See, because of Israel's refusal to abandon their idols and worship God only, they were chastened by the Lord and taken into captivity by the Babylonians. For about 70 years, they had to deal with not being in a context that was familiar to them. The Babylonian warriors had marched in and then took them captive. I can imagine the Hebrew people feeling horrified as they felt the tears run down their cheeks as they were leaving their homeland, their cherished city that was ravaged by these foreigners. There was a king named Nebuchadnezzar, 
who led this invasion and Nebuchadnezzar completely destroyed Jerusalem. He carried off all of the treasures from their beloved temple and then he destroyed the temple. And for a long time, they were in a totally different place dealing with life that was so unusual and so unfamiliar. As a matter of fact, with their temple gone, the center of their lives, their identity was so deeply rooted in worshiping the Lord with feasts and with sacrifices and with rituals that were prescribed by the law. And now they didn't have any of that. It was their church at home season. <laughs> Toward the end of their 70-year captivity, though, another leader, a king named Cyrus, ended up overthrowing Nebuchadnezzar, and they got the chance to go back home. The commentators that I have read told me that, or at least through my reading, that over 50,000 Jews left Babylon and returned back to their home. While not everybody returned, a lot of them did. Can you imagine how these Jewish people felt when they found out that stage one of their reopening strategy was happening? Jerusalem was moving into that stage where they could come back together. They had abandoned their lives in Babylon and they made this dangerous trek, this difficult journey across the desert to come back home. But when they found themselves back in Jerusalem, it was quite different from the place they had left. It was very, very different. When they arrived now, much of it was overrun. Their cherished place was not the place that they had deep down in their heart. Maybe their favorite restaurants were only doing takeout. <laughs> Maybe there was only outdoor dining during that time. The city had become uncomfortable. It was now filled with people that were not the residents that they had left. It had been gentrified by these cruel, cruel people. And worst of all, their temple was destroyed. There was an eeriness that seemed to grip all the hearts of the people during that time. And there was no center of influence, no center of identity. So what did they do? Did they immediately try to get to stage four? Did they try to build the temple immediately? No, 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 they, they didn't do that. You see, the truth is we're in a similar context as well. We're all starting over. Small businesses, corporations, hospitals, churches, charities. We're all starting over and we're experiencing this new reality of life. And today we're going to go into this Old Testament book that we don't often read. It's called Ezra. And there's this grand story about coming back to life, particularly after something that you've loved has been destroyed, particularly after a way of life has been destroyed. But what I love about this book is that before they started rebuilding the house of God, they started to rebuild their habits. And as we linger in the aftermath of some of the pandemic that we've gone through with COVID-19 and some of the tensions that we're still seeing in pockets of North America as it relates to diversity, I think that we have to understand that we have to rebuild our habits so that we can rebuild God's house. Now, watch what happens in the text. It was in early autumn when the Israelites had settled in their towns. All the people assembled in Jerusalem with a unified purpose. I think that this is the first thing that we have to unpack. And I think it's a beautiful thing that before they started doing anything, they were unified in purpose. I know that you're about to open up just like our church in New York is about to open up as well. And I can tell you if there's anything that we're going to need to be successful in this moment, particularly in a culture that 
that is so divided. We need to be a people that are unified for a purpose. We're unified on mission again as we start to safely open up. We have to have the same mindset that we are here to reach people that are far from God but close to us. And we need a unified purpose that for those of us that will gather again physically, that we have to keep moving our lives forward. The scripture says that Joshua and another guy, a fellow priest of his that ends up becoming two of the key stakeholding leaders in this renewal, this rebuilding, a guy named Zerubbabel in rebuilding the altar of the God of Israel. They wanted to sacrifice burnt offerings on it as instructed in the law of Moses, the man of God. There were these two leaders, these main leaders that were a part of the rebuilding project. And I can tell you that these are the people that would dig through the rubble so that there could be a revival. And I love that this verse shows collaboration because we cannot experience the best of God without having the best of each other. God has designed it so that when we work together, he is glorified. Our faith needs friends. Our faith needs people that are moving in the same spiritual direction to do something great. And what I love here is that they started off with building Building the altar. Why are altars so significant? Well, altars are significant because they were used for worshiping God and commemorating notable experiences with Him. And I love that in this text, the first foundation is prayer. They decided that in order for them to build a great house, they would first have to reestablish beautiful habits, habits like prayer. And the altar wasn't built before the foundation, the altar was the foundation. And I think if we're going to gather back, we cannot allow ourselves to slip in a pattern of just getting back to church as usual without building the right foundation. Listen, there cannot be a church without an altar, but there can be an altar without a church. And I think we need to understand how powerful prayer is. Why are we advocating for prayer so early? It's because we're going to need God more than ever before. What the flesh always makes available, prayer makes avoidable. I'm going to say it again. What flesh, our, our sinful desires seem to make always available, prayer has this beautiful ability to make those things avoidable. And for many of us, we, we, we overthink prayer. In fact, we've overthought prayer to the point that we've underpracticed prayer. And I want to tell you that prayer is simply talking to God. But let me move on a little bit here. Even though the people were afraid of the local residents, they rebuilt the altar at its old site. Then they began to sacrifice burnt offerings on the altar to the Lord each morning and evening. They were afraid of the local residents that had now become a part of their neighborhood because they were a little bit concerned about how they were going to live out their faith. They probably had a reputation that these people that had left and come back were spiritual people. Can I tell you that every time you start your prayer life or when you boost that prayer life again, you become a threat to everyone around you in a spiritual context. And what I love is that they started a pattern where they were praying each morning and evening. I think that prayer is important to have a rhythm. I like to say it this way. Every person needs a slot, a spot, and a strategy. We need a slot, a dedicated time when we pray and seek the Lord. We need a spot, a, a 
undistracted place, a place where we can connect with God without all of the distractions. But we also need a strategy that we come into prayer knowing what we want to seek God about instead of just being haphazard. So many of us are focused on the wrong things when it comes to prayer. We, we, we think about frequency, like, well, how long should I pray? And how often should I pray? But I can tell you that you got to think about the function of prayer before you start worrying about the frequency of prayer function of prayer is to connect with God in a deep way so that he can do things that you and I can't do in our own ability. And what I love is that the people continue to build habits before they rebuild the house. They celebrated the festival of shelters as prescribed in the law, sacrificing the number of burnt offerings specified for each day of the festival. Don't overread this and don't read it too quickly. There's some significant things that are happening. Ezra is known, if you read other books in the Bible, particularly the book Nehemiah, we understand that he led this revival of getting people back into the word, getting people back into the law as it's read here in this text. And for many of us during the pandemic, we discovered that maybe we were too accustomed to reading scriptures on the screens and that we all have to have the personal habit of getting back into the word. What I love is that we have to hide the word of God in our hearts and we don't hide it in a particular place like a church, we have to hide it in our hearts because that's a place that's always going to be open. I love how they're led back to reacquainting themselves with the word. And I'm praying that all of us during this season have an increased appetite to get back into God's word. They also offered regular burnt offerings and the offerings required for the new moon celebrations and the annual festivals prescribed by the Lord. But watch this. The people also gave voluntary offerings to the Lord. They're resuming habits that were gone for a season. They start with prayer. They get back into the word, but then they also do something powerful. They start giving financially and voluntarily because if there's anything that God loves, God loves when we give free will offerings, not forced offerings. And maybe as we all regather, I'm a pastor of a church as well, and I'm so thankful that our churches have been vibrant in giving. One of the things that so many pastors have been so grateful for during the season is that people have been generous continually. But can I tell you that if we're ever going to rebuild a house, we're going to have to make sure that we're giving financially, that we're continuing to be strong in that principle. Now, as we continue to go through these verses, notice how the habits start shaping what they do. 15 days before the festival of shelters began, the priests had begun to sacrifice burnt offerings to the Lord. This was even before they had started to lay the foundation of the Lord's temple, before they had poured any concrete, as it were. These people were building spiritual spiritual habits that were going to make a difference. Can I tell you that before activities have to resume in our lives, we've got to have habits that will be the scaffolding and the structure that is going to allow us to build an even stronger host than before. It is the habits that we have that allow us to be the people that follow God completely. Now look, we are beginning to reopen and I'm so thankful that I am prefacing your grand reopening in the sense of gathering in person because the church 
church has always been open. But can I tell you today that it's going to take all of us getting back together and working together with a unified purpose and building spiritual habits at home that are going to allow us to impact our communities. You see, the construction of the temple began in mid-spring, and we learned that the workforce was made up of everyone who returned from the exile. For those of us that are ready to return back to our physical building, can I tell you that it's going to take all of us to make a difference? For those of us that are continuing to stay online, you're a part of this church still too. We need you to continue to share and to like and to let other people know that you're still a part of the body of Christ, even if you're doing that in a digital format. But one thing that I love hearing, can I preach a little while to the young people of TL? Listen to me, listen to me, everybody. The Levites who were 20 years old or older were put in charge of rebuilding the Lord's temple. Young people were leading the way in rebuilding the temple. Can I say to all of you at TLCC, I want the young people to get all in the chats right now. If you're watching online or you're doing it on your mobile phone, it's young people that are going to lead the way in big, big, big ways to make a difference. Come on out, serve, do whatever you can to make a difference in the lives of people. Because when the builders completed the foundation of the Lord's temple, the priests put on their robes and took their places to blow their trumpets. And the Levites, the descendants of Asaph, they clashed their cymbals to praise the Lord just as King David prescribed. And with praise and thanks, they sang this song to the Lord. He is so good. His faithful love for Israel endures forever. And then watch this. All the people gave a great shout, praising the Lord because the foundation of the Lord's temple had been laid. They went back to church in great style. Everybody got dressed up. For y'all young people out there, they got in their best Sunday drip. They did the thing that they had longed to do for a while, and they began to sing praises back to God that he was so good. But what I love about this text, and here it is, you can underline it in your mind, they were doing this because the foundation of the Lord's temple had been laid. They didn't have the guest services kiosk built yet. They didn't have kids' rooms built yet. They didn't have an auditorium with air conditioning and great lights built yet. They were rejoicing and excited because just the foundation had been laid. Can I ask you a big question out there today? Can you rejoice over things that are still incomplete? I want to ask you, is it okay for you to praise God even though some things aren't finished? Church wasn't at 100% capacity yet, and they were still praising God. Is it possible that we might be worrying and under-worshiping God because we just keep seeing incomplete things, and yet God is a God who loves to rejoice in the middle of things? Listen to me, everybody. I know that you may be coming back to a church next week that has a certain percentage cap, and there will be people wearing masks and it will feel a whole lot different. And you may say, well, we're, we're not even at full capacity yet, but can I tell you, it's time for us to praise God and to get excited about what God's going to do because I can tell you COVID-19 did not surprise our God. COVID-19 did not make him lose any power, but as we gather, as we lay a foundation again for people to come back to church eventually in the coming months, in the coming year, can we just get excited by praising God? Look, many of the older priests, the Levites, and other leaders who had seen the first temple wept aloud when they saw the new temple's foundation. People started crying. The others, however, were shouting for joy. 
The joyful shouting and weeping mingled together in a loud noise that could be heard far in the distance. Two different reactions to one circumstance. Two different reactions to the incomplete. Two different reactions to the beginning of something. The older people were like, man, look at this. We used to have coffee stations. <laughs> we, we, we used to have people wearing lanyards and we used to have bathrooms that had mints in the little bowl. And now look. And yet there were other people that had never seen Solomon's temple that were rejoicing because all they knew was that they were slaves before. All they knew about was a captivity mindset. All they knew about was being in a place that wasn't their home. And so there was one group of people that were looking and all they were worried about was what it used to be like. And then there were other people that were saying, well, we've got this now. Can I say something? I might be speaking to two different types of audiences right now. Some of us are lamenting that things are so different. We've been in this digital space and we're coming back to a church that will have the same building in terms of structure, but it may have different elements to it. And maybe you'll get stuck on crying about how things used to be instead of rejoicing about the new foundation that is being laid. The problem with us sometimes is that we always get stuck on the past instead of reveling in the present and the future that God wants to give. These people, they were crying fresh tears over old memories instead of giving new praise about new ministry opportunities and the current mercies that they had. Could that be you as well? Sometimes we settle in on the old days instead of thinking about the new day and God is just trying to let us know that the foundation of something new is something to rejoice about. Let me, let me stick with this concept here. You guys remember when this new foundation got laid earlier this year? I can tell you as a pastor, going from visitors to views has been frustrating. Como se dice, I've nearly pulled out my hair nine times this year. Do y'all remember when you started that diet on the quarantine and it went away fast? Y'all remember when you were doing family chats and walks and stuff and now you're still dealing with the rubble? Well, if you look at the process of what it took to rebuild this foundation and to start this new temple, it took years for them to rebuild some things. And the funny thing is, some things halted. The work halted for a little bit. In fact, historically, uh, a guy named Darius ends up finding the words of that king that allowed them to come back. This is a longer Bible study than what you need, but he almost gives these people what I would say is a stimulus package to go and build the temple because the work had paused for a little while. What I love about God is that he's concerned about our feelings and the tension that we have to manage. Two different audiences reacting to something that just began. And so he sent two prophets that were contemporaries of what's going on in this, this context. I love this. I love what Haggai has to say to these people. And I think it'll encourage all of us that are watching today because we're looking at a new context, everybody. And I can tell you, I, I, I wrestle, I struggle with the same feeling that you might. Our church is getting ready to open as well. And I'll be talking to Pastor Terry about how things are going and... All I know is that I can't revel over the way things used to be. But I, I feel it, man. I feel it. 
And so God sends his prophet and, and he says, does anyone remember this house, this temple in its former splendor? How in comparison does it look to you now? It must seem like nothing at all. Maybe you've been looking at former things, how things used to be pre-coronavirus. Doesn't really compare in some ways to what we're dealing with now. But look what the Lord says. He says, be strong, Zerubbabel. Be strong, Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Be strong, all people left in the land. And now get to work, for I am with you. The Lord of heaven's army says this. Get to work. Look, I know that things aren't going the way you would like them to go, but get to work. I know things don't look the same way the way you want them to look, but get to work. I know that things are so different, but get to work. Can I say to all of us that are gathering again and getting ready to come back to church, it's time for us to get to work. It is not time for us to lament. It may be time for us to say, I know things are different, but I'm gonna work and I'm gonna build and I'm gonna rejoice over the incomplete. Everything's not the way I want it to be, but I am gonna get to work. I'm gonna build arms with my brothers and sisters. I'm going to lock arms with them and say, hey, we are moving forward together. It's time to get to work. And the speed of progress is always adhered to and move forward when we're patient. When we want microwave answers and microwave speed to things coming back and we serve a rotisserie God. Some things got to get slow cooked. But here's what he says. My spirit remains among you, just as I promised you when you came out of Egypt. So don't be afraid. Can I say something to everybody that's watching? Don't be afraid. There's going to be a whole bunch of things in the media. We're going into an election season that is going to be hotly contested, but don't be afraid. Can I tell you that God's presence is still with us? I know you can't tell how it's going to look and what it's going to be like. Listen to me. Those people were weeping over a, a temple that was destroyed because of the sin of the people. People. They were weeping because they had heard about this wonderful temple where the presence of God came down and they couldn't even minister because the power and the presence of God was so rich and thick and palpable. But guess what? They were building a temple in their current context that the Son of the living God would end up walking into. Don't you dare despise what God is trying to build through us now by just looking back on what we used to have, everybody. Look, God's Spirit took them out of Egypt. God's Spirit brought them back from exile. But there's one thing that God's Spirit will not do. It won't take you or I out of our excuses. God can take us out of Egypt. God will bring us back from exile. But if there's one thing that the Spirit of the Lord will not pull us out of is our excuses. And we have no excuse not to roll back up our sleeves and get involved because here's what the Lord of Heaven's armies told them in just a little while. I will again shake the heavens and the earth, the oceans and the dry land. I will shake all the nations and the treasures of all the nations will be brought to this temple. I will fill this place with glory, says 
says the Lord of heaven's armies. The silver is mine and the gold is mine, says the Lord of heaven's armies. In other words, don't worry about the finances. They never belong to you anyway. I am the one that's going to sustain and take care of you. And listen to this. The future glory of this temple will be greater than its past glory, says the Lord of heaven's armies. In this place, I will bring peace. I want to let you know that what God's getting ready to build through you, what God is going to build through the leadership of your pastor, what God is going to build through the leadership of our team here, I can tell you is going to be greater than what we've ever seen before. And one of the reasons why it's going to be greater is because God is also going to bring peace into our context. So I'm just going to tell you the latter will be greater. Come on, put that in the comments. Put that in the chat if you believe that God is about to do something amazing. Peace is not a place. Peace is a person. And Jesus is about to bring you greater peace than you've ever experienced. If you could just realize that we have to rebuild our habits before we rebuild the house. The first home that my wife and I built was in Indianapolis. Indianapolis of all places. In fact, your pastor and I talked about this at dinner. So we built this house and I could tell you it was so amazing because we are born and raised New Yorkers, right? And so when you can build a house someplace, I'm just telling you, you feel a little bougie. You know what I'm saying? When you can pick out stuff and you can pick out the, the, the you know, carpet and the knobs and all that stuff, man, we are feeling bougie, okay? Feeling really good about ourselves. And we built this wonderful house and we lived in it for a while. And then I moved to St. Louis and I lived in St. Louis for a while, which by the way, St. Louis is probably one of the worst places to live in North America. St. Louis is a city that like something really cool happened in 1869 and then it never happened again. <laughs> it was like they built the arch and they were like, oh, okay, we have a tourist attraction, we're done. Like, it was just not a great place to live, but we bought an even bigger house when we moved to St. Louis. And what's so funny about that is that the house was on Confederate Way. <laughs> it was always a great joke, black people living on Confederate Way. You can laugh at that, we're in the Northeast, and it was funny, okay? If you didn't like it, you can email me at noreply at thelifechurch.com. <laughs> I'm messing with you. We built that house, it had a lot of square footage. We loved it and it was gorgeous. And then we moved to New York to start our church over a decade ago. And you know how that goes when you move back into the Northeast. Come on, shout at me, New Jersey folk. <laughs> the, I could have paid for three houses for the rent that I was paying in Westchester County, New York. And we moved back into a smaller capacity, into a smaller place. In fact, we lived in three different townhouse, apartment style townhouses in a four block radius just to save a hundred bucks each time. But then eventually we saved up enough money like many of you that are watching and you were able to purchase a home and we purchased our first home in New York a year ago. And I can remember that first day I was driving up to the house, our realtor called us and she said, hey, I found this wonderful house. It's in this great neighborhood. You better get here because somebody's either going to buy it as an investment or they're going to buy it and move in. It's going to go fast. And I can remember driving up that easement toward our house. And when I pulled up in front of it, I thought, this is my house. It was in a neighborhood I never thought that we'd be able to live in. And I thought, oh, this is great. But the house was so much smaller than anything that we've ever lived in. But I just had the sense that it was ours 
You know what's so interesting was I got there before my wife did, thankfully, because when she pulled up, it was a totally different reaction. She was a lot different. Let's say she wasn't so turned up. You haven't met my wife yet, but I can't wait to bring her. She's tall and statuesque and beautiful. And her name is Claudine, but I call her classy because she's regal. And that nickname has stuck with her for a long time. And I can tell you, classy came rolling up. And if you've ever met my wife, she sort of, at times, especially when she's upset, she kind of talks like a Black Valley girl from back in the days. Like, you know, she's like, oh my God, like Wayne, oh my God, this house is like so small. Like, it's like smaller than anything we've ever lived in. Like, oh my God, it doesn't have a garage. Where am I gonna park my car during the winter? Oh my gosh, there's not enough storage. It's like, where am I gonna put all of my Christmas trees? And she found everything that was wrong with the house. It didn't have enough of this, it didn't have enough of that. And while I was rejoicing, excited, she didn't have the same reaction. We had totally different reactions looking at the same house. We ended up buying that house and we learned something that was so amazing. Even though we didn't see eye to eye on having storage and we still don't have the garage to park our cars in, what we did end up getting was way more square footage than we ever got in the acreage of our land. It's a small house or at least it's starting off as a small house but we've got way more land than we've ever had and way more potential to build onto the house. So you see where I'm going now. I know that the, some of us are coming back to church next week and it may feel like there's smaller audiences and it may feel like I don't know where everybody's at yet, but can I tell you that during this season, God has given us more expansion, more land in the proverbial sense, more reach than ever before and more capacity to build onto our church. And I can tell you that God is gonna use you in a big way to build on eventually to what you're looking at now. And I can tell you, it may seem small, but God is about to do big things. In fact, I want you to take a step wherever you land spiritually, wherever you believe about God in this time, because God works big in small next steps. And I want to tell you today that that small house that we live in today still has the capacity to welcome guests, still has the capacity to show hospitality, still has the capacity for us to have laughs, still has the capacity for our family to grow tighter together. And I can tell you that next week as we regather, God is going to do something amazing to another group of people that were watching. God sends his prophet and he says to him, do not despise these small beginnings for the Lord rejoices to see the work begin to see the plumb line in Zerubbabel's hand. Can I tell you today that God is rejoicing to see the work begin again in you. Come on, TLCC, don't you ever despise the day of small beginnings. It may feel like we're not at the same level, but I can tell you that God is expanding your territory and God is giving you more influence than you've ever had before. So don't despise the day of small beginnings. Let the work begin because God rejoices to see the plumb line in Zerubbabel's hand. This is fascinating. They're rebuilding the foundation and plumb lines in that context were those cords that were weighted. It was a weight that was suspended from a string used as a vertical reference line to ensure a structure is centered. 
as they always find the vertical axis pointed toward the center of gravity, they ensure that everything is right, justified and centered. Some guys use those, you know, uh, ones that look like a ruler. I'm not really good at building anything, but I sure know how a plumb line works to make sure that gravity is getting you to the center. Can I tell you today that God is looking for a group of people that will keep that proverbial, that metaphorical plumb line in their hands and realize that we have to be centered on Jesus, that we're justified by Jesus and his blood alone, and that all of us have this opportunity to point to the vertical axis, which is our God that loves, cares, and concerned about about us that wants us to be involved in rebuilding his house. Can I just get with you a little bit and get a little bit excited? The best days are yet ahead. We're about to rebuild a church that's going to be amazing. It's going to have an impact all across New Jersey. I want to let you know that your job, your, your family, your community, your workplace, everything is going to be impacted as we start coming back together. Don't despise the day of small beginnings. God is about to break out in us. Let me say it to close again. As we get ready to rebuild a house, let us get ready to rebuild spiritual habits that are going to make our house stronger than ever before because you and I are the house. I want you to open up your heart big and wide to God right now. If you've already made him leader and Lord in your life, can I say a prayer for you? Father, in the name of Jesus, for everybody that calls TLCC their home, would you bless the church? Would you bless them with unity of purpose? Would you bless them by them building an altar in their personal lives? Would you bless them by being people that give voluntarily? If you are a person that's in this church right now, I would love for you to just open up your heart big and wide and continue to pray with me. Father, in the name of Jesus, help us to be unified in purpose. Help us to rejoice even though things are still uncertain. Help us to move forward together in Jesus' name. In a few moments, we're going to close out this service, but if you've never made a fresh start with God, can I lead you in a fresh start prayer? I want to give you an opportunity that regardless of where you land spiritually, God wants to start a relationship with you. So maybe you could pray along these lines. You can make this prayer audible, or you can kind of utter this in your heart. Father, I've sinned and I'm sorry. I turn away from those sins and I turn toward you. Change my life, shape my life. I make Jesus leader and Lord of my life. I believe he died, I believe he was buried, and I believe he rose again from my sin. Give me your Holy Spirit and the strength to follow him all my days. In Jesus' name, amen. I am so looking forward to being with you in the future, but if you just prayed that prayer, I wanna just let you know that you just made the most exciting decision of your life. Welcome to the body of Christ. You're gonna get some fresh new steps on how you could grow spiritually, but I wanna chair your church on. Thank you, Pastor Terry. I think reopening weekend is going to be amazing. Just remember, rebuild your habits and you will rebuild the house. God bless you. I love you. Thank you for the opportunity to be with you today. See you soon.